overcome the Kufiyut Zion with Aleph, the optic fiber of divine energy, Ariyalami Bavel. Growth in Torah is not only a function of the knowledge we accumulate, it's also a function of the extent to which we connect to the source of Torah, to the very energy with which Torah was given. Growth in Torah and, and, and living Torah is, a, is about a power, about a source of, of energy. We discussed it in the Medrash here on, on Shabbos. The Jews' role in generating energy, cosmic energy that drives the world, and what that cosmic energy is and how it is that we have that role and, and that we drive the world. And part of the way that we're able to access that cosmic energy is through Limud Torah, through the learning of Torah, but through a particular dimension of learning of Torah, which is what we'll study today. We'll learn a piece of Agadita, a long piece, we won't learn it inside, I'll tell it to you outside. When Ravina and Ravashi included sections of Agadita, the more Midrashic sections of the Gomorrah, they include the stories, the, the narrative, it's because there's something to learn from it. It's not just matters of interest or of historic interest, it's something to be able to learn from it. And we'll only have an opportunity to learn from one particular phrase, one particular dimension of this very fascinating story that we have in this page of Gomorrah. And we'll, uh, we'll understand it deeply. Uh, and then I'll share with you something terribly tragic that happened last week, which in fact affects all of us. The story was with uh, Rav and Rav Kahana. There was a man in Rav's community who was about to whistleblow on a fellow Jew and cause him terrible loss. Whistleblowing is not allowed when the person hasn't done a criminal action just to try and get him into trouble, to try and get the tax authorities after somebody because you've got a, a problem with this individual, that's called Moser. We're not, we're not allowed to do that. This person was about to report another Jew, which would not only cost him fortunes of money, but in those days, if the tax authorities went after you, it could even cost your life. It could be something very, very serious. Rav, Rav says to this person, you're not permitted to do it. The person says, I absolutely will do it. Rav Kahana is watching this whole thing take place, gets furious at the extent, at the chutzpah of this man to disobey a psak of Rav, and he kills him. He murders him on the spot. Rav says to him, yeah, you, you were entitled to murder him, and we won't get into why that is, but we're not living under the same government that we did a few years ago. We were under a Persian government, and you could get away with murder under the Persians. We're now under a Greek government and they're more civilized. You cannot get away with murder anymore. So I advise you to get to Eretz Israel as quickly as possible. Get out of Bovel, get out of Babylon, and go and study with Rabbi Yochanan. But for seven years, don't ask Rabbi Yochanan any questions. Uh, and the Mashal says, because it was a tikkun, it was in order to, to repair something he'd done wrong here. The real problem was that he jumped in and made a, a halachic decision of fatal dimensions on his own, without checking with Rav, he made, in front of Rav, he made a decision to kill this particular individual. In return for that, he says, for seven years, just act like a Talmud. For seven years, just learn humility. And sit at the feet of Rabbi Yochanan and study Torah and don't ask him a single question. Rabbi Yochanan goes to Eretz Israel and he goes into the yeshiva. And Resh Lokish is saying over Rabbi Yochanan Shir. In those days, not only in those days, even when I was in yeshiva, uh, they used to call them a chazerbocher. Rabbi Shlokish wasn't a chazerbocher. He was much more than that. A chazerbocher was somebody who would say over the Rosh Hashiva shir. Because everybody wanted to learn from the Rosh Hashiva himself. 
And we'll see in a moment why that's important. There wasn't such a thing as I'll, I, I, somebody will say over the shear, or I'll read over the notes, or I'll, li I'll listen to a tape. Everybody sat in, even if you didn't understand a word. For, for, for a long time, for well over a year, I remember sitting in Marsh Yeshiva Shear, I didn't understand one word. But you you always sat in the shear. I remember there was an old Jew in South Africa that I knew who used to used to listen to Reborg Beershirim in, in Lithuania, and I said to him, did you understand Reborg Beir? He said, no, you couldn't understand Reborg Beir. I said, so why did you go? He said, I would never miss a shir. He just said the Kedusha, what you got from, from listening, from watching, from seeing Reborg Beir, I would never have missed that. There's a dimension in that interaction. So... Rabbi Yochanan would give the shir. A lot of people wouldn't understand it. Resh Lakish would then explain the shir to them afterwards. So they got both. They got the experience of sitting in Rabbi, in Rabbi Yochanan's shir, and they got the explanation from Resh Lakish afterwards. Rav Kahana had not made an undertaking not to ask Resh Lakish any questions, so he started asking Resh Lakish a whole lot of questions. Resh Lakish goes to Rabbi Yochanan and says, Ari alami bovel. There's a lion who's come to our yeshiva from bovel. Prepare your shir very carefully tomorrow, because if he starts asking you questions, you're in trouble. So Rabbi Yochanan prepares carefully. They put Rav Kahane in the front row. In his yeshiva, there were seven rows. Again, they didn't have different grades. First year, you listen to this shir. Second year, you listen to... Everybody wanted to hear Rabbi Yochanan. Everybody did hear Rabbi Yochanan. But where you sat determined your status. First year you sat in the seventh row, the second year in the sixth row, the third year in the fifth row, and so you worked your way up. Rav Kahana, Resh Lakish, put in the front row, sitting in the front row under Rabbi Yochanan's nose. Rabbi Yochanan gives the shir, Resh Lakish doesn't say a word. Uh, Rav Kahana doesn't say a word. Rabbi Yochanan comes to Resh Lakish and says, not only is there not a lion in the group here, there wasn't even a fox. Who, who is this person? So they put him back, and eventually he's back in the seventh row. And now he's feeling incredibly humiliated. Imagine the great Rav Kahana is coming to this yeshiva and he's sitting with young people and he's in the seventh row and he's not allowed to say anything. And then he figures out being in the seventh row is humiliating enough. I don't need seven years. He said, if Rabbi Rav told me I need to wait for seven years, it's, to, it's that I should be, be humbled during seven years. This demotion of seven rows is as humbling as I need to be. So I figure the seven years are up. So he started, he went to Rabbi Yochanan, he says, just say that shir over again that you gave this morning. Rabbi Yochanan says the shir over, and Rav Kahana starts shooting questions at Rabbi Yochanan. Eventually they move him back up to the first row. Again he says to Rabbi Yochanan, just say over the shir, and he starts asking questions and giving answers. Rabbi Yochanan is so impressed, he takes one of his, of his seven cushions away, and he lowers his own level because he's, he feels humbled by this Rav Kahana. And the next day, again, he takes another cushion until he's sitting on the floor on the same level as the Talmidim because he's been so humbled by the power of intellect of, of Rav Kahana. Things develop, and there comes a time where Rabbi Yochanan says to his Talmidim, I've got drooping eyelids, and I can't see. Now, there's this young man, this Rav Kahana in my shoe, I can't see him. Can you help me? So they lift up his eyelids. He had a special little silver instrument. They roll up his eyelids. So he could see Rabbi Yochanan, for the first time he could see Rav Kahana. He notices on Rav Kahana's lips he has a split lip and it makes him look as if he's mocking. But that's just, he was born with a defect. But Rabbi Yochanan didn't know that, he hadn't seen him before. All of a sudden he looks at, Rabbi, at Rav Kahana and he sees this mocking smile on his face, this smirk on his face. And he gets a shock. Rav Kahana realizes he shocked Rabbi Yochanan and he dies. He's, he's, he, he dies. 
Rabbi Yochanan's terribly upset, goes to the grave of Rav Kahana, revives Rav Kahana. There's a whole story with a snake, a famous story there. Eventually he revives Rav Kahana and brings him back. The part we're going to talk about is this insistence of Rabbi Yochanan to roll back his eyelids so that he could see this person, Rav Kahana. Why did, why did he have to see him? Says the Masho, you understand somebody better when you can see their face. Because we use our facial expressions as part of the way we express ourselves, as part of the way we're explaining. So if a person is explaining something very nuanced, something very subtle, if you're able to watch their face, you're able to get a lot more understanding of what it is that he means. That the, we, we know how much meaning is lost when you don't have body language. When talking to somebody on the phone as opposed to seeing somebody, we lose a lot of the meaning because we don't have the body language. You should see, your eyes should see your teachers. That learning is not only a function, an audial function. So again, if you're reading, you're getting information. And then there's a whole question of how do you convert that information into experience? But if you're hearing audio and you're hearing tone of voice and you're hearing nuanced sound and you're hearing the pause and you're hearing the drama, that's already an experience. But it's not sufficient for learning Torah. You should also be able to see the face of your teacher so that you can really understand the nuanced meanings of what the teacher is saying. That's what the Marshal explains. This in, in Eruvin, we have a similar Gemara where Rebbe says, The reason I am sharper than any of my colleagues, says Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, is the chazite Rabbi Meir me'achore. I saw the back of Rabbi Meir's neck. There's a Yerushalmi, which we'll see in a moment, which explains what happened. And if only I'd seen Rabbi Meir from the front, I'd seen his face. Have a mechadad netfer would have been a much greater talmid chacham. Dichtiva you enecha roetet morecha, which is is interesting. And here again, the Marshal says the yesh lahavin bikritzat enayim uvrimizat svatayim. The reason that had if I'd seen his face, I would be more wise is because I could have seen the winks in his eyes and the movements of his lips. I could have discerned all the different facial expressions. That would have given me a whole new dimension of learning and understanding that I couldn't get without that exposure to to Rabbi Meir. But on the other hand, he does say, I saw the back of his neck. So. The Marshal is giving us one secret. The one secret is when you watch somebody's face, you're able to understand them much better. If you're learning Torah, it's not sufficient to read. And it's not sufficient to get the audio track. You need also to get the, uh, you, to see it on YouTube. You've got to be able to see the visual expression as well. But at the end of the day, Rebbe says, I gained a fortune from seeing the back of his neck. That's not facial expression. What does he, what does he mean by that? And the Yerushalmi on which this is based actually brings the case that Rabbi Meir had to, had to be running in the street and the wind moved his collar and Rabbi was looking out of the window and from the window he could see Rabbi Meir's neck. And he says, Lo zachiti, zachit ana ela begin kadle de Rabbi Meir I saw the back of Rabbi Meir's neck, that's what did it for me. Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lokish, the two people we're learning about, said, Lo zachinan lo araita, ela begin de chaminan etzbaate de Rabbi min glukikim dide. We saw Rabbi's finger sticking out of his sleeve. And that changed our whole understanding of Torah. That's not, that's not facial expression, so 
the Mashal teaches us something very important, the educational value of being face-to-face with a Rebbe. But here we're seeing something else, that even seeing the Rebbe from, from a distance. Uh, my father asked Rebellia, Rebellia used to say that he, the most life-changing moment of his life was seeing Rabbi Yisrael Salanta when he was a little boy. His father took him to a place where Rabbi Yisrael Salanta was there in the distance. And he saw Rabbi Yisrael Salanta in the distance and that changed his life. Not hearing him, not speaking to him, not seeing him close up, seeing him in the distance t- changed his life. His bearing, his stature, his majesty, the style with which he dressed. My father said, what do you remember? What did you remember? He said, I remember being shocked that he looked like a businessman. He didn't look like a Rosh Hashiva. He looked like a businessman. He was dressed so elegantly and so beautifully. That was Rabbi Saul Salantin. That changed my whole vision of Torah, says Rebellia. That's a, the same kind of thing. I just saw him from the back as a little boy. And that was life-changing for me. When my father was in, in Israel for the first time in 1953, he was, went to say goodbye to Rebellia on his way back to South Africa, back to the airport. And Rebellia said to him, while you were in Israel, did you see Rabbi Salman? Rabbi Zalman was the great Rosh Hashiva in Yerushalayim from Eastern Europe, a Talmud of, of the Netziv, a Talmud of Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik. Did you see, did you see the Zalman? My father said, no, I didn't, uh, had nothing really to discuss with Rabbi Zalman. He said, on your way to the airport, you need to stop off and see Rabbi Zalman. And he didn't, he didn't have time. And he went home. The next time he came, the conversation started with Rebellia saying, did you see Rabbi Zalman last time when I told you to? And my father said, no, I was on the way to the airport. There wasn't time to speak to him. Rebellia said, I didn't ask you to speak to him. I just asked you to see him because your life would never have been the same had you seen him. He died a few months later. My father never got to see him. And that was one of the regrets of his life. You see, every opportunity we have in life has an expiry date on it. And we don't know the expiry dates. And when the opportunity expires, it doesn't come back. There are other opportunities. But every opportunity we have in life has an expiry date. Our father had an opportunity to see Rabbi Zalman. Rebellia assured him it would be life-changing. He missed the opportunity and he regretted it for the rest of his life. Just to see him, never mind to actually learn with somebody and to be able to experience that. But what is this power that just from seeing somebody can give you this? Reb Chaim Shuelevitz gave two shiurim in 1971 that were life-changing for me. Most of his shiurim were life-changing for me. But there were two that he gave called Rav Talmid, a Rebbe and his Talmid. And in that he explained some of these Gemorahs. Based on the posuk in Vayechi, where it says the eyes of Yisroel, Yaakov's eyes was, were heavy, he couldn't see. A little bit like Rabbi Yochanan. Lo yuchal lirot. And Yosef brings his sons to Yaakov, and Yaakov hugs them. Says the Sforner, He wanted to be able to see them so that his brocha would work. He couldn't see him, so says the Sephonor, so he hugged them so that the brocha would work. You need physical connection for brocha to pass from one to another. You need physical connection for Kedushat Torah to pass from one to another. For that cosmic energy that comes from Matan Torah, you need physical connection for that. It can't be done just in writing. It can't be done through audio. It can't even be done through video. 
It needs human connection. One must be able to see the other person. That's the optic fiber, the, the virtual optic fiber that channels cosmic energy through the Torah, through the Rebbe, to the Talmud. It's not the Rebbe's Kedusha. It's the Kedusha Satoira that passes through the ages, through the Rebbe, to, to the Talmud. But for that, there has to be visual connection. It says Rabbi Yochanan, it explains Rabbi Chaim Shmuel it says Rabbi Yochanan, I want to be able to see Rav Kana. Every opportunity has an expiry date. I want to see Rav Kana, roll up my eyelids so that I can see this man, so that I can connect with him and, and connect with the Torah of this man. That's how humble Rabbi Yochanan was. Rav Kana was a Talmud. And, and how he deals with him and how he's willing to humble himself before him so as to get that opportunity. Every opportunity has an expiry date. And we don't know the expiry date. Last Wednesday, there was a man who came to the Abat Monimshir. As you know, I wasn't well and I wasn't here. Man from South Africa. Did you see him? Visitor. And he's been a Matmonim Talmud since the beginning. He's been a Talmud of mine for over 30 years. And he came to have physical connection. He listens to every shir. But he was in Israel. He was leaving on Wednesday night for South Africa. And he came, he called me, he sent me a message to say he wanted to come to the shoe. We arranged he would come on Wednesday and I would meet with him after Wednesday. He wanted the connection. And so he came to the shoe physically. Every opportunity has an expiry date. And we don't know when that expiry date is. And he came, came to the shoe. I wasn't here. And I texted him after the shoe and apologized that I hadn't been well. I wasn't at the shoe and I wasn't able to meet with him afterwards. And I said to him, please stay in touch. And he said, I definitely will. 24 hours later, he took his life. That man who was here on Wednesday was not with us on Thursday. And you realize, you realize, you don't know there's a person sitting next to you. Reach out to people. We don't know what people are going through. We don't know what's going on in people's lives. I had an opportunity to spend some time with him. Every opportunity has an expiry date, and we don't know the expiry date. He had an opportunity to come and learn Torah live, and he understood, deep down, he understood this principle of to learn live, to be in a live shear, to say, you've got an opportunity, it's 20 minutes. That's all it is, to learn live, to start the day with a live shear, with Talmidim, with Chaverim, with people who are learning together. Learning from a live person who himself learned from live people. 20 minutes is all it is. You've got that opportunity every morning. No. Not what did you say to me on, on Shabbos Sender? You were weighing up whether to stay in bed. You were feeling very exhausted from your trip overseas or to come to the shir. And after the shir, you thought, really? Would I have exchanged 30 minutes of sleep for that Torah? We've got opportunities to learn from so many people in this city, in other cities, so many opportunities to learn live from real people. Every opportunity has an expiry date, and we don't know what the expiry date is. So I dedicate this shir, Le Ilu Nishmata, Shel Dov Ber Ben Zaev.